Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. It's great to see you. We're in a series this morning that I really think is essential uh, to having a successful life, to being fulfilled in life, and really to, to just finding the center of life where you find balance. You know, we've talked about before that life is not all of one thing in the absence of another thing. In other words, it's not all good all the time and it isn't all bad all the time. In fact, oftentimes you can have the best of times and the worst of times at the same time. And I found in my life, and I think if you think about it, maybe in yours, that God uses that to balance us. And so the series is about finding not only balance, but finding joy for the journey. I'm absolutely convinced that so many people are settling for less than God's best, that they're not having a joy-filled life. If you aren't careful, you fall into the trap of when and then thinking, right? When this happens for me, then, you know, I'll be happy. Or when this happens for me, then I'll be joyful. And so we, we always kind of put off the pursuit of joy uh, for the, the idea that when something different happens or someone different happens, then that will be the source of joy. But I found in my life, and, and I believe this to be a biblical principle because I want to teach you this this morning, that you can have joy regardless of who's in your life, You can have joy regardless of what you've lost in life, that it is possible to experience continual, continuous joy. Last weekend, I told you how Jesus desired in John 15 for us to have joy. Remember, he said, I want you to have my joy, and not just to have my joy, but to have it overflowing to the abundance. And so I really do believe that is the heart of God. And so we gather on Sunday mornings, and I think many of us are here trying to hear from God and to learn how we can be better as a husband or a wife or a a parent or a grandparent or a better business person, or how can I take care of the people in my world better? I I think we gather for different different motivations, and oftentimes when we gather, it's not hearing something new that becomes so profound as much as it is hearing something we've heard before, but it's getting reinforced in our heart and mind. Uh, Give it to you another way. I'm not necessarily certain that the average Christian needs new revelation as much as they just need obedience to the old revelation. Meaning, I think for most of us, we need to learn what we know. Cindy and some friends in the church back in the day would go to Nicholas Sparks, when he would gather at Barnes and Noble. How many ladies are you Nicholas Sparks fans? You've seen the movies, several of you. I would ask the men, but why, why do that? That's like asking the guys, when was the last time you saw Barry Manilow in concert? That's not gonna go over either. That's an old 70s thing, but the point is. She goes, she loved Nicholas Sparks. You know, he's made some great movies, and she would go and she loved, the, she and some of the ladies would love to hear him talk. And one of the questions he fielded one time, and she shared it with me, it was pretty funny. She, this lady asked him, how is it you as a man can write so well uh, these romance books that really captures the heart of women? I mean, most men don't have the ability 
to do that. You, you have a, an insight into how a woman thinks. Uh, it, you, your books are so romantic. How is it that you have that gift and most men don't? You know what he said? He said, all men know how to do it. We just don't do it because we're lazy. <laughs> he said, we know how to win your heart, but we don't continue to do the things that we did to win your heart. And, and when I think about that, I think, you know, on the average Sunday morning, we kind of come looking for new revelation when we just need to be obedient to the revelation that we've already received. I mean, we just need to know, look, I, if I put this into practice, remember in James 4, James said, if you know to do good, but you don't do the good you know to do, it benefits you nothing. I, I, I look at this, we, we call these uh, gatherings on the Sunday sometimes big old holy huddles, right? And in these holy huddles, we look into God's word and get a game plan. Everybody has a different position, you have a different assignment, but hopefully when you come, you'll, you'll, you'll get something from God's word that gives you a little insight, some tips, some ways in which you can, you know, you can, uh, uh, play better at your position and help move the ball down the field, right? Well, what happens is when we break huddle, it's not that we don't know what to do, but what James was saying is we don't always execute. We don't always put into practice the things that God put into our heart when we heard his word on Sunday morning. So I want to be as practical as I know how, and I want to give you something that I hope will help you bring joy into your life, even though it's not really new. Most of you have already heard these principles before. Let's, let's look at it together. Philippians 3, verse 12. Paul said, not that I've already attained. In other words, I'm not completed, I'm not finished, I'm not perfected, I'm not fully mature or already perfected, but I'm pressing on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He was saying, I'm trying to comprehend God's purpose for my life. I haven't found it yet, I haven't discovered it all. I know God's not finished with me. I know he still has something for me to do. So there's a passionate pursuit of mine to discover all that God wants me to achieve while I'm here on this earth. That's kind of the idea here. And then he went on verse 13, I don't count myself to have apprehended, I love his humility. But this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press, I'm pressing toward the goal. Now, Paul often used sports metaphors. He often talks about life as a race, as we'll talk about in a minute. He says, I wrestle not against flesh. He's talking about wrestling. He, he says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. It's a, it's a boxing term, meaning I, I, I give myself a knockout punch to keep me from, you know, from becoming prideful and, and missing God's purpose. So Paul, his writings are full of sports metaphors. And here he's talking about a runner. He's saying, man, I'm running. I'm in this marathon called life and I'm pressing my energy, my focus, my goal is toward the goal of the prize for the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is giving, in my estimation, some very practical principles. A lot of it isn't new. A lot of it is things that we've heard before, but he's giving some very practical principles that I think really help us understand the secret of his joy. And I, I, I wanna give you three essential questions that I want you to ask yourself and try to answer, because in these three simple questions, I think you find the secret of joy. Question number one, ask yourself this question, where am I? Where am I? 
Now, I'm speaking a little broader than just sitting in this room or watching online. Where am I? You see, we can never get where we're trying to go if we're not honest with where we are. Let me flesh that question out. Where am I personally? I mean, am I, am I growing in my personal life? Uh, someone as well said, the only difference in the person you are now and the person you'll be a year from now will be in the books you read and the people you meet. So do you feel like you're growing in your personal life? I mean, are you stuck? Are you where you used to be? Are you stagnant? Would you describe your life as being caught up in the status quo? By the way, status quo is Latin for the mess I'm in. <laughs> so sometimes that describes the life. So where are you in your relationship? Would you describe your relationship as getting better, as maturing? Where are you as a parent and where are you as a grandparent? Where are you emotionally? Are, are, are you healthy emotionally as you possibly could be? I know a lot of people have a very high IQ and a very low EQ. I mean, sometimes you have to stop and say, where am I emotionally? I mean, do I feel like I'm healthy emotionally? I mean, I talk to a lot of people and they'll often want to counsel with me and I tell them right up front, look, I'm not trained as a psychologist. I play one sometimes on Sunday, <laughs> but I'm not trained in that field. That what I generally do is I'll meet with someone to assess is their problem primarily fundamentally spiritual. And the minute we swerve out of that lane into something more psychological or physiological, I recommend them to a doctor or to a psychologist. I'm just out of my lane. And what I found most of the time when I talk to people, more than 90% of the time I'll go out on the limb far enough to say, I talk, I don't, let me put it this way, I don't always talk to the people who have the problem. I talk to the people who are living with the person who has the problem. Sometimes it's the hardest person to reach is a person who is the source of the friction within the relationship. So everyone in their orbit wants to come and sit down with someone and the person who really we need to be talking to, they don't see it yet. Sometimes it's only when the Samsonites are at the door that they say, oh, we have a problem? Well, I've been telling you for months. So sometimes it's good on a Sunday like this to stop and hit the pause button on your life and say, where am I relationally? Where am I emotionally? Where am I spiritually? I mean, I'm a Christ follower. I assume most of you are. So am I passionately pursuing my relationship with the Lord? Am I in his word? Do, do I pray about everything? Am I faithfully giving and supporting the ministry of his word? Am I serving other people? Is my life, am, I, am I really a disciple? Or is this more of a kind of a commercial relationship I have with God? Where am I spiritually? And I think these are important things, even though they're very basic things that we do from time to time, because if we don't have joy in our life when it's desire of God for us to have it, we have to come to terms. Number one, I am large and in charge of me. I'm responsible for me. I, I can't blame anyone for the direction of my life. I, I, I have to own the fact that if I ruin my life, that's on me. I'm responsible. In fact, in Romans 14, it says, every one of us will one day give an account of themselves for, to God. So where am I in this? How am I doing when it comes to this? I'll give you Paul's metaphor. How am I running the race? In Hebrews 12, and I think possibly Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but in Hebrews 12, he uses a sports metaphor in verse one. Remember, he says, we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. 
Uh, it's a stadium scene where there are people in the stands. It's an image of heaven. There are patriarchs and people who have gone on to heaven before us, and now they're in heaven. They're in the stands, and they're cheering us on. And so Paul said there in Hebrews 12, one, so therefore, since we are running, we need to do two things to have joy and to finish well. He said, lay aside the sin that easily besets us. Now stop long enough, think about that. We all have sins in our life that beset us, that trip us up. Have you ever noticed that you confess the same sin typically over and over and over and over again? You say, oh, man, I'm, just, I'm still stirred. You know why that is? It's not rocket science. It's that the devil knows that's a weak area of our life. So he'll continue to hit us in that area because we know we struggle, and he'll hit us there and hit us there because that's a, we, we all have weaknesses. So Paul's just saying, keep short accounts. It is possible for a Christ follower to sin. So when you sin, you simply say, Lord, I'm, forgive me, I'm sorry, I messed up, 1 John 1, 9. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us. Remember I told you a week or two ago, you have the relationship with God that cannot be broken, but your fellowship to God can be broken. So when we sin, it breaks fellowship. It doesn't break relationship, it breaks fellowship. So he said, lay aside the sin that besets us. And then he said, lay aside the weights. Now, weight is not necessarily a sin. A weight is a hindrance. Sometimes weights are necessary. The Bible says, I'll put no unnecessary burden on you. Sometimes God sovereignly declares or designs a burden for us to carry. He even says in the latter part of Hebrews 12, 1, let's run with perseverance, the race set before us. Well, perseverance is the first cousin to the word endurance. Uh, endurance means to stand up under pressure, kind of. That's what it means. It, it, have you ever noticed that God would want, do one of two things when you pray? When you pray and you ask him to, to remove a burden from your life, he will either remove the burden or he'll give you strength to carry it. That's perseverance. Some burdens God won't remove. Some burdens we have to remove from ourselves. There's some things you don't need to carry. There's some people you don't need to carry. And so I'm saying when you say, Who, where am I? Ask yourself, where am I relationally? Where am I with this sin issue, with these burdens? Am I running with endurance, with perseverance? And then he said, the race that is set before me. The race you're running might be different than the race I'm running. God has a specific race for you to run. And by the way, you're gonna be here till you finish the race. So he has something for you to do. So I would say, where are you in relation to that? How are you doing? How would you measure yourself? Would you say, I'm, I'm pressing, I'm moving, I'm in that direction, I'm in the zone, I'm in the right lane, I, I'm, I'm comfortable in the skin I'm in, I really believe I'm doing the thing God called me to do? Which sets up my next question. Not only who am I, but what am I doing? Question two. See, God has a design for you as he has a design for me. As I said a moment ago, we have a race to run. And here's the thing, God will never hold you to account for things he did not equip you to do. He has no expectation for you to achieve something he hasn't gifted you to do. I mean, just like you and I wouldn't go over and pull our kids out of Met Kids and we wouldn't hold them to task for something they're incapable of doing, well, God is not gonna hold us to account for something we're not capable of doing. God has uniquely gifted you and created you with a, a personality and with talent and ability. And that's the only thing he requires. He just requires, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with it? 
Did you put it to use in a way that brings me honor and glory and helps your fellow man? I mean, did you make a difference? What are you, what are you doing? And you see what Paul said? Paul said, look, here's what I'm doing. I am focused on the one thing God has called me to do. Did you see that in the text? He knew what God designed me to do, this one thing. Now, it's good to have a lot of giftings and to be good at a lot of different things, but if you aren't careful, you can become the jack of all trades and the master of none. At some point, you have to be focused on the thing God's created you to do. You know, a river, a river has force, and they can channel the force of the river and create power, electricity from the force. But the reason the river has power is because it is channeled, it's directed. If you don't direct a river, it becomes a swamp. And when it's a swamp, it becomes stagnant. Nothing will live in it, nothing worthwhile. <laughs> and I know a lot of people, their lives are slowly becoming swamps instead of rivers with power and influence. The word influence means inflow. It means somebody is caught in the current of your life. Sometimes it's good to ask yourself this question. Where will I be when I get where I'm going? Because you're going somewhere. Your life has a trajectory, your life has a direction, your life has some sort of momentum. And so when I assess where I am and then I try to assess what am I doing, it gives me some insight and perspective into the things that I, 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 I give my time to and the things that I give my energy to. I, I love how Paul put this in 1 Corinthians. He said, look, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are expedient. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Now think about that. All things are lawful. I can do a lot of things, but not everything is expedient. And he uses the word expedient. Again, it's another athletic word. Uh, we get the word expedition from that word. Here's what I know. Anyone who's ever climbed to the top of a 12,000 foot or a 14,000 foot mountain in Colorado or any other state, or if you've ever seen these guys that go to Mount Everest, and I mean, they're sincerely serious climbers, Here's what no one ever said who achieved that feat. They never said, I don't know how that happened. I was just walking through the woods one day and shazam, I'm on top of the mountain. <laughs> never happened. If they're a serious climber, they spend a lot of money, they train, there's risk involved. Man, they put their life on the line. You know why? It's an expedition. Now they could camp and take some time off and make fire and, you know, and, and have fun and, and do that sort of thing, but that's not the mission. There's nothing wrong with camping and making a fire and having fun, but when you're on an expedition, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient, meaning that not everything is gonna help you get to the top of the mountain. Here's what I found, see if this checks out. Oftentimes the biggest decisions that I make in my life are not the decisions between good and evil. That's not a hard one for me. If you pulled the kids again, out of met kids, and you said to the kids, kids, this is good and this is bad, which one do you want that, oh, well, the good, we don't want the bad? Because they know that. The, the, the devil knows that. The, the problem comes in, not in the decisions that we make between what is good as opposed to what is evil, but here's the rub. What is good as opposed to what is best? What's the good thing for me as opposed to what's the best thing for me? For some of you, who's a good person for me as opposed to who's the best person for me, right? So it's not the good and evil, it's the, it's the better versus good. 
It's a good decision, this is the best decision. That's where you need discernment. That's where you really have to press into God. And one of the things that happened when you began to discern his will and you say, what am I doing? Is you began to be very time conscious and focused on what he's called you to do. You live according to priority and you learn to travel light. Remember what he said in that next part? He said, this one thing I do. He said, then forgetting the things that are behind. There's some things you you gotta let go of. Some things, if you're on an expedition and you're climbing, there's some things in your pack you don't need. Now, I would say when you're getting ready to climb the mountain, you probably need to work out. You need to hit the gym. I'm a good example of a bad example of that. (laughs) I'm in shape, round, round is a shape, but we're working on that. The point is, you know, you, you put, you try, you lift these weights, right? Now, you need those preparing to go on the ascent. You need those preparing to go on the expedition. But when you are going on the expedition and you're headed up and you're at the first camp, and all of a sudden they discover you got 40 pounds of weights in your bag, somebody's gonna tell you, what are you thinking? (laughs) You gotta lose the weight. You gotta get those things, those aren't necessary. You're carrying some things in your bag you don't need. And I talk to people every weekend, you walk into this room carrying stuff you don't need. There might have been a point for it at some place in your life. There might have been a reason for it at some time in your life, but now you're holding on to something you need to release and you need to let go of because it's hindering you from where you're trying to go. Paul said, man, I'm focused on this one thing. I'm forgetting the things that are in my past. Have you ever thought about it, man? Paul could have really derailed him. He could have really been himself. He could have really lived a life without joy if he couldn't have gotten past the guilt of his past. He didn't just despise Christians, he hated them. The Roman government gave him permission to put them to death. And he was good at it. Until all of a sudden you read in Acts of the conversion of, his his name was Saul at the time, Saul of Tarsus, and he became the great apostle Paul. But he could have, guys, he could have lived with guilt, enormous guilt. Encountering Christians thinking, I can't get past what I used to do to these people. I was terrible to these people. He's the first terrorist, religious terrorist in the Bible. And God gloriously saved him. And I'm saying he had to get past the guilt of his past. And some of you guys, to get where you're trying to go and to do what God's designed you to do, you got to get past the guilt of your past. You're carrying stuff he didn't design you to carry. Here's something that's not new, something that's old, but it's hard to do. Once God is forgiven, you forgive yourself. You've heard that, right? But isn't that hard to do? You, you just, I don't know if you punish yourself sometimes because you just can't let go of something, but if God has forgiven you and you've done everything in your power to try to make things right, you've, you've got to let that go. It's a guilt, it's a burden that you can't carry. He had to let go of the, hey, he had to let go of grudges, grudges. I mean, he had John Mark who betrayed him and who left him in the middle of the missionary journey. He was counting on John Mark. And all of a sudden, man, at a time when Paul needed him most, John Mark said, see ya, and he's out. And Paul was offended. Did you know you can be offended by a Christian brother or sister? Somebody that you're going to be in heaven with one day, and you can be so offended they can do you. Christian people can do you wrong. As Christians, we can do each other wrong. We shouldn't intentionally try it, but, but it happens. And Paul was offended by John Mark. Now, if you read the story of their relationship, they came to a point where they, they made up. 
They forgave each other. But here's what never happened again. They never worked together again. You see, you can release forgiveness immediately. Trust takes time. I mean, the only place you can put absolute trust is on your, and on our currency. In God we trust. Every one of the rest of us are on the bubble. <laughs> we own the bubble. When I became pastor of our former church, and it was and is one of the most historic churches in, in the Baptist world, I went over as 24, 25 years old. I mean, wow. I just, I knew I'd outpunted my coverage. But I went over and counseled with someone who became a great mentor to me during that season, a W.A. Criswell at First Baptist Dallas back in the day. And I sit down with him as a young guy here, this elderly man has forgotten more about the Bible than I knew I'd ever know. <laughs> but I knew he had a lot of wisdom and I just said to him, I said, man, what do you recommend that I do? Here's what he said, never forget. He said, Bill, your name is on the sign. They'll call you pastor. He said, your name will be in the bulletin. They'll recognize you as the pastor of the church. But he said, you'll only become their pastor one family at a time. And that'll take time. He said, it's going to take time. Now, they'll respect you because of the office you hold. They'll follow you because of the counsel you give. But you won't have their trust until you win their trust. He said, that may take you years. I thought it was one of the wisest things I'd ever heard. Because sometimes we can violate trust and we want it to be quickly given back to us as forgiveness is appropriated. You know, forgiveness is something that's appropriated immediately, but trust is not necessarily that way. Trust takes time. Paul and John Mark never worked together again. Never. Paul said, you know, burn me once. <laughs> you know, shame on you. Burn me twice. Shame on me. That's not in the Bible, but you know, if it was, it's not a bad one. The point is, he, he wasn't being unforgiving. He just had to let go of the grudge, and he just said, you know, we just can't work together. And there's a lot of people you'll love in life that you love them, you've forgiven them, but you just can't work with them anymore. That's okay. Nothing wrong with them or you. Just is what it is. And if it causes your joy meter to drop, you do what's best for you. And sometimes you have to let go of the guilt. Sometimes you have to let go of the grudges. So Paul said, this is what I'm doing, man. I'm focused on what God's called me to do. This is where I'm going. I'm forgetting the things that are behind me, and I'm pressing on, pressing on. Here's the third question I would ask you. Where, where, where are you going? Where are you going? You, 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 your life, your family, your career, all of that is going to end up at a place, some, at some place. So it's good, I think, sometimes to set go. Here's the big, here, all right, let me get this. Here's the best way to set a good goal. It's not necessarily your five-year plan is as significant as your five-minute plan. Because what you and I do in the next five minutes can either make the next five years happen or can destroy it. So, so my, yeah, I make my plans and I kind of see this is where I'd like to be and this is where I'd like to go. But man, the, the secret of being successful with the five-year plan is your five-minute plan. Make good decisions in the moment. Weigh the good and the evil, okay. But more than that, weigh the good against the best. And then ask myself, what is my ambition? Who am I trying to please? And at the end of the day, if you know Jesus as your Savior, your greatest desire should be to please your Creator, the one who made you, the one who designed you, to please Him. Beautiful verse, what is it, Matthew 25? 
that great parable where it ends with well done, good and faithful servant. You know what he didn't say? Good and successful servant. He didn't say good and wealthy servant. Nothing wrong with success and nothing wrong with wealth, but he praised them not for those two things. He said, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You just didn't give up. You didn't give in, you didn't give out. You didn't give up. And I'll tell you this as I close, that's the secret. And really what we try to do here in our church is we just try to encourage you not to quit. Just don't give up. None of us are gonna run perfectly. If you run, you're gonna fall. If you fall, you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna to have to rehab and get back into the race again. That's just part of life. Just, just don't quit. Don't quit. Just keep getting up. Just get back in there. As I said, sometimes you may need some rehab. We have people in our church, they're not ready to serve. They're just not ready. They've been through some things and just as a body can get broken, a spirit can get broken. Just as a body can be injured, your spirit can be injured. And it would be malpractice on on my part, spiritual malpractice for me to put you back in the game and put you leading or serving somewhere when you're broken and you need healing. So we have people sometimes that they just sit and listen. Sometimes they agree and sometimes they don't. I tell you all the time, I don't believe everything I've ever said. Sometimes they take things and go, okay, that makes sense. I'll apply that in my life. I'm just saying we have people that are in all different places, all different states, and that's wonderful. It reminds me of a story I heard about the 68 Olympics that were in Mexico City. And they were preparing for the marathon, and there were tens of thousands of people in the stands to watch the runners as they started, and more importantly, to watch them as, and cheer them on as they finished. And they said they would track the runners throughout the race. And one runner from Tanzania, he had come halfway around the world to run in this race. He had one of the hardest races he had ever tried to run. He stumbled and he fell multiple times. They found out later he actually had fractured his leg in one of the times that he fell. Many times they would report on his progress and they would say he's bleeding, he's broken, he's bloody. He's battered, he's bruised. That was words they would describe his run. That's not a good run. And finally, the runners all started crossing the finish line in the stadium to the cheers of thousands. But after a period of time, hours had passed. Thousands of people began to leave the arena and make their way back to their rooms, prepared for the night. But there were a few thousand people that stayed in the stands because they heard there's still a runner on the track. It's that kid from Tanzania. He's still running. And they said, we got to see this. So they wait around for hours. And seven hours after (laughs) the last runner, this young kid hobbled, working his way back into that stadium. The audience, those that were there, several thousand people had remained, stood and cheered him on. And he stumbled and made it across the finish line. And one of the reporters said, why did you keep running? You knew you weren't going to win. You you knew others had finished ahead of you. You know what he said? He said, I love the people of my country. They sent me halfway around the world, not to start the race, but to finish it. And I was determined by the grace of God, I'd finish. And he did. In fact, there's an ancient Greek race that's a relay race And the winner of the race is not given 
are determined by the first team across the finish line. Get this. It's determined by the first team across the finish line that carries the torch, and the fire on the torch is still lit. Instead of a baton, they would carry a torch. And as their course was ending, they'd hand the torch off to the runner coming behind him, and on and on. And the race was determined. The winner of the race was the team that finished with the torch lit. I think about the torch. It's the fire that someone has, their determination, their spirit, their joy. That part of us that is attracted to one another, that part of us that draws each other to one another, that element, that fire can never go out. You got to keep running. You got to keep trying. Don't quit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. As Isaiah said, it never returns void. It always hits a mark. And so, Father, I pray that your word will pierce our minds and our hearts. Not necessarily new truth, but help us to be obedient to do the things we know how to do. We know how to be good husbands and good wives and good parents. and We know how to be good business people. We, we know how to do it. Help us to do the things that we know we should do. Never settle for good when better is available. Father, help us to be focused on where we're going. And God, give us the determination to never quit. And lastly, Lord, I pray for my friends who may never have trusted you as Savior. I ask wherever they are in this moment, you'd give them the, the courage and the peace to humble their heart and pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, be a reality in my life today in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.